0: How are we this morning? Good to see you. You're doing about as well as a 9.30 service. <laughs> it's been a bad week around here. Uh, one of the joys that Jill and I have had over the years is the opportunity to do premarital counseling with couples and um, to have them come and sit down in our living room and to talk a little bit about marriage and planning for marriage. You know, a couple will spend all kinds of time and all kinds of money on half of a day. Uh, the ceremony and so we like to sit down with them and talk to them about all the days that will come after and prepare them uh, as best that we can and there's always a moment when we get having those conversations that the cost of the wedding starts to sink in and I don't mean the money Um, just when we get talking about the sacrifice that is required for two people for two lives to become one and who's gonna have to give what and where some give and take is gonna have to take place you can just feel it in the room you can just get the sense okay this is starting to sink in this is a good thing I remember recently, too, just talking with one of our young adults who was getting their first full-time job. They had worked kind of in a, an area not a, in that they studied in, um, but now had gotten a job full-time in their area of studies and expertise, and they were so excited they were going to have their own cubicle. And they were saying they were going to put a picture of their bike up in their cubicle. <laughs> they got their own cell phone, and the company was going to pay for the cell phone. And they were going to get a paycheck. It was very exciting. And then they had an orientation, and they came in for a few days and kind of got the, the lay of the land and had uh, learned a few things, and they were talking about how the tone had kind of changed because they were told that they had to be for work for 8.30, five days a week. Can you imagine? <laughs> and they realized that uh, the cell phone that they were given was so that their boss could get a hold of them whenever they wanted, and it was expected that if I call the phone that I'm paying for, you will answer. And uh, the cost of the job had kind of started to sink in, and the tone of the conversation had changed a little bit. Well, the verses that we read this week as we've been reading through the Bible kind of had the same feel to them. Um, As we started to read a little bit about Jesus' life as he gets closer and closer to the cross, as he gets closer and closer to the end of his life, the tone in the scriptures that we read this week, they started to change as well because we got a little bit of sense of the seriousness of this all and of the cost in particular to you and I as Christ's followers. When Jesus' ministry began, he was popular. People liked him. They liked his stories. They liked going and 5,000 people. There'd be bread and fish for everybody. People were getting healed. Things were great. But as we started reading this week, the tone changed a little bit and it started to feel a little bit more serious both for Jesus and then also, also for us. Maybe you've experienced this as, as maybe someone who is a Christian or maybe someone who's thinking about becoming a Christian. Maybe you kind of thought, well, being a Christian is just kind of like about being nicer than most people. Just kind of about being nice. You know, I don't you know, drink quite as much. I don't swear quite as much. Um, you know, I'm just nicer than most of the people that I know, and so that makes me a Christian. And you're discovering as you read through the Scriptures And you come through these gospel stories and you hear what Christ is calling people to, you realize that's not at all what it means to be a Christian. But it means to surrender your life to Jesus and to say, I'm gonna reorder my whole entire life around your teachings and your ways. Or maybe you have been a Christian for a long time and you just thought, I just kinda wanna find a nice, comfy way to be a Christian. I just kinda wanna go along at a pretty good pace and not have too much disruption in my life. And you're discovering, as you open up your heart and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you and guide you and call you, that God will call you out of your comfort zone again and again, and it start, you start to evaluate the cost of following Jesus. Well, what we're gonna look at today, in particular, in Luke's cha- Gospel, Chapter 9, it really emphasizes this, and we're gonna, we're gonna take a good look at it. Uh, we we'll are get you to turn to Luke, Chapter 9, in your Bibles. That's page 1611, Luke, Chapter 9, we'll uh, do a scan of the first few chapters but then we'll uh, or the few st- first few sections but we'll, then we'll dive right into the last few verses luke chapter 9 it's on page 1611 if you're using the red bible the account of jesus life has four parts matthew mark luke and john in the gospels and consider it this way i imagine that i'd asked four of you today to write an account of your time here this morning at river cross church You would all go home and write something that would have some similarities, but there would also be some differences, that you would emphasize some things that the other people didn't. In the Gospels, it's the exact same way. Mark's Gospel, for example, was the first Gospel written. It's written by John Mark, and you're going to read about him when we get to the book of Acts. It was written largely the account of the ministry of Peter and what Peter's observations, and John wrote it down for him. It was written for a Roman audience, and the Romans were doers. They were powerful people, and they got stuff done. And so as you read through Mark's Gospel, it encounters all of Jesus' miracles and the power that he used. And Jesus is always going somewhere immediately because he's taking charge and he's in control. And Mark's Gospel won't have as many stories. It won't have as many of the parables in it. Matthew's Gospel, Matthew being a Jewish man writing to a Jewish audience, was very Jewish. It was always connecting the life of Jesus to the prophecies of the Old Testament. He quotes more Old Testament passages than any other gospel. And he's got things like genealogies in it which are very much like the Old Testament. Matthew's gospel is considered by some almost to be anti-Semitic because he's so hard on the Jewish people for what they did to Jesus. But not at all. Matthew is hard on his own people in the same kind of way that I can make fun of my mom, but you can't. Right? Right? John's gospel is different altogether. John's gospel is written thematically. It's not written chronologically at all. So if you're reading Luke and John kind of side by side, they'll seem very confusing to you because they take very different tracks. John is consumed with proving that Jesus is the son of God. It's gonna capture all the I am stories. And Luke's gospel is unique again. Luke was a medical doctor, and even at the very beginning of his gospel, he writes, I'm writing to give you an orderly account of the life of Jesus. And that's what he does. It's very detailed. It's chronological. And it presents Jesus as the remedy to the world's problems. Luke will also write the book of Acts, which we'll get to in a few weeks. But let's look at chapter 9 this morning. Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9 is the hinge in Luke's gospel. Luke chapter 1 to 8 really encounters the life and gets you started on who Jesus was in his ministry. And then Luke chapter 9 acts like a hinge and it redirects us. And everything from Luke chapter 9 forward is focusing us on the cross and on the events of Easter weekend. Everything from here forward is all about Jesus setting his face to go towards Jerusalem and as he gets ready and prepares his disciples and us for what is about to come on Easter Sunday. You'll notice in Luke chapter 9, it's got all those little headings. It's kind of broken up in sections. The first one here says, Jesus sends out the 12. And you'll notice this entire chapter starts to challenge us with the cost of following Christ. And in this, in, in this first um, section in Luke chapter 9, it talks about Jesus sending the 12 out to go and evangelize the world. But he warns them that not everybody's going to think you're that great. And when you knock on some people's door and try to share the gospel with them, they're not going to be open to it. And you're going to face some rejection. In here as well is the reminder that Herod is still trying to kill Jesus and is on to him. The next section is the feeding of the 5,000. We get to this section and Jesus has been ministering and teaching to a large crowd of people. They've gathered around. It's getting to be close to supper time. And Jesus' disciples kind of lean to him and say, look, we've got to get rid of these people. They're going to be hungry soon. And, uh, you know, we don't want to have to feed them. And Jesus completely turns the situation around and says, these people are your problem. These are your people, so you have to look after them. The section after that is just a powerful section. If you don't, haven't had a chance to read it, go home and read it later this afternoon. This is where Peter actually gets it right. And he confesses who Christ is as the Messiah. Jesus would ask them in the shadow of the Roman Empire, who do people say that I am? and say John the Baptist, some will say Elijah, and then Jesus turns the question on them and says, but who do you say that I am? And it's a question that each one of us will need to wrestle with and answer at some point in our life. Peter gets it right, he says you're the Messiah, the Son of God, and Jesus says you've got it right, and he says the Messiah must suffer, must be turned over to the authorities, must be crucified, and must die. And for the disciples, they struggle to get their mind around how this could be the path forward for Jesus. Not only that, he says to the disciples, that's my path forward, and if you want to follow me, you have to be willing to pick up your cross and to follow me. And the disciples understand what this means. This means sacrifice. Not only that, but Jesus says to them in the midst of this, if you are ashamed of me in this going forward, then I will be ashamed of you. These are difficult verses. and You can feel kind of the intensity building as Jesus is preparing his disciples for what's to come. Following this, we have the story of the transfiguration and then two stories of great blunders by the disciples who still fail to understand who Jesus is and what living as a way of his kingdom requires of them. The first encounter's uh, a man who's not part of Jesus' disciples, who's ministering in Jesus' name, kind of somewhere else, and the disciples see him, and they think, well, he's probably from another denomination. Uh, He believes in a different Bible translation, and in his church, maybe they speak in tongues or something, so he's not one of us, so Jesus, you should know that we went and set him straight and told them to stop it. To which Jesus says, never, he's on our team. The next story, the disciples go into the town to get ready, make preparations, so as Jesus and his disciples come, they can stay there at night, and they get rejected. They're told, we don't want you and Jesus here. Get out of town. So as they come back to Jesus just being rebuffed, they say to him, do you want us to pray that fire will fall from heaven and scorch this little town right to the ground? Of course, the irony is these are the same disciples who tried to pray earlier to heal a boy and they couldn't do it. But now suddenly they think they've got the faith to do, the faith to do a scorched earth project. <laughs> and Jesus reprimands them again. And it reminds us they don't understand what Jesus is calling them to. Well, let's start reading this morning. Luke chapter nine, we're gonna just pick it up. All of that is kind of the precursor to these verses starting at Verse 57. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, Follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. To which Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. You ready to tackle these? Should we have some fun this morning? Let's let's take a look at these together. Luke gives us these three kind of encounters with Jesus to illustrate for us today the cost of following him. But not just the cost, the beauty of what it means to be his followers. So let's unpack them. The first person simply says this, uninvited by Jesus, but he announces, I will follow you wherever you go. This is a big commitment. Maybe this guy had been part of the crowd that had been fed in the 5,000. He'd seen the miracles of Jesus. Maybe he had a child that he brought to Jesus who was ill and Jesus healed him. Maybe he heard the stories and it spoke to a deep spiritual need in his heart. We don't know. But for whatever reason, this guy makes an enormous commitment to Christ up front. Now regardless, Jesus is sure that this man has no idea where he is about to go. And it's reminiscent of just a few verses earlier where the disciples came to Jesus and said, hey, in the kingdom of heaven, Who's gonna be the greatest, me, him? We're gonna be like right there with you, aren't we? We're gonna be running the whole show. One will be on the left, one will be on the right. We'll be kind of the power block here, you know, we're gonna be looking after everything. And Jesus says to them and he says to this man, you have no idea where I'm going and what it's going to mean to be on my left and on my right in a few days when I'm hanging on a Roman cross. And if we're honest, you know, we've said similar things to Jesus, haven't we? We have made commitments. Lord, I will never do that again. I will follow you wherever you go. I will never give in to that temptation again. I've been on this mission trip, and I'm home, and I'm going to completely reorder my life, and nothing is ever going to be the same again. We've all made commitments like this, like this man, and found ourselves unable to keep them. So on one hand in this passage, we see... How hard it is to follow Christ we see the temptation to make these commitments that we really can't live up to but we also see something about Jesus in this passage and I don't want us to to miss this Jesus himself has considered the cost of following his Heavenly Father's instructions his Heavenly Father said to him go where I ask you to go and Jesus considered what that meant we're gonna look at it next week when we see Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane on his hands and knees in prayer when he realizes that the way forward means the way through the cross. And Jesus counts the cost, and he's faithful to it right to the end. So on one hand, we read this little encounter, and it pains us because we see our own flippant commitment to the Lord, but on the other hand, we see that when God called Jesus to go where he would send him, Jesus counted the cost, and he went. He was faithful, to the end. In the second encounter, Jesus invites someone to follow him, and maybe this is reminiscent of when Jesus invited Matthew, the tax collector, to follow him. It seems amazing, but Jesus walks up to him and just simply says, follow me. And when he said that to Matthew, Matthew heard him, he turned off his computer, he put his phone on call forward, he took off his security badge, threw it on the desk, and he walked out, and he followed him just like that in this situation when jesus says this to this man follow me the man hears the words and something in his heart says yes he says yes but then he remembers that his dad is either ill on death's door or has recently died and that he needs to go and take care of family business this is a good son this is what a good son does in jewish culture A son would look after his father's burial, make sure everything is done according to the law, make sure that everything is perfect, would plan everything out and look after all of the details. This is what a good boy does. A son that didn't do these things would bring embarrassment, dishonor, and shame, not just to his dad, but to his entire family. And so Jesus says to this man, here's what I want you to do. I want you to let someone else look after those details. I need you to go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Now, how many of you think Jesus has this man's attention? How many of you think that this guy kind of forgot about this encounter, went home and said, man, I ran into somebody today, I can't remember what he said to me, but uh, he asked me for something. No, this is seared on his heart just as it is ours as we wrestle with these words and what they might mean for us. He is consumed with this invitation. It's disruptive, and it kind of stops us in our tracks. Now, I've thought about this all week and thought, well, how can I soften this so it's not so difficult? How can we water this down and take the edges off? But that would be a disservice to this text. What Jesus is simply saying here is if you want to be my follower, if you want to be like me, then you have to put my kingdom above all other things because that's what I do. This is illustrating the transfer transfer of loyalty that takes place in our heart from our stuff to God's stuff. And this is not a new teaching. Pastor John talked about this last week when we looked at the Beatitudes. Seek first the kingdom of heaven. But here we get a little sense of what that actually looks like. Now, to be fair, Jesus is not saying who cares about your dad and who cares if your dad dies and who cares if your family's embarrassed. That's not what he's saying at all. What he is saying is absolutely critical as it is for you to be there for your family and to honor your family as high of a calling as it is to remember your dad and to look after all the details. There's something higher. There's something of greater importance and that is Christ's kingdom and making yourself available to it. That when God calls you, you will go. And again, our first response might be to say, no, Jesus wouldn't ask me to do that. That's too disruptive, that's too too big. But honestly, my hope is that you'll go home and stew over this for a little bit. I hope it bugs you, I hope it annoys you a little bit, and you can go home and be cranky about it for the afternoon. And in the midst of that, I hope that you will hear the Lord speak to you about the true meaning of this passage. But there's something beautiful about this passage too, and I don't want us to miss it just in the hard parts. Jesus is showing us in this passage what he has done for us. You'll remember in your readings, Jesus was out preaching. He was teaching in the community. And rumors were getting around about some of the claims that he was making and some of the things that he was saying. And there was a a project afoot to see Jesus killed. Jesus' mother and brothers have heard about this. And they go to Jesus, and they're kind of standing off stage saying, you know, why don't you come home? Be done with all this. You got the point. Everybody gets the, the message now. Stop it and come home. And Jesus hears them, but he says no. The Lord has called me to go forward and to proclaim the kingdom of God. And he walks away from his mother and his brothers in order to be faithful that you and I might receive this great message. The third encounter, are you ready for it? The third encounter, the, the, the man simply says this. Yes, I will follow you, but first let me go home and say goodbye to my family. This is the yeah, but answer. Yes, however. I'll, I'll be right there. I've got some things to do. Um, I've got some other things to look after, and uh, I'll, but I'll be there eventually. This is the excuse. As soon as we read this, actually, it should remind us of our readings through um, the book of Kings, where we get to the story of the calling Of Elisha you remember Elijah and Elisha Elijah was getting ready to retire he needed someone to take over for him the Lord had told him to speak to Elisha so he goes up to Elisha and he says would you come follow me and be my disciple and take over the ministry that I've had and Elisha says yes but first I need to go home and say goodbye to my family and Elijah says okay go for it and he does and when he's finished he comes back Jesus knows that this story is gonna bring that story to their minds and it's his way of saying this, when you get to be one of my disciples, you get to be a part of a ministry just like that of Elisha's. You're now playing on that playground. You're now doing that kind of important ministry. This is no small thing that you get to be a part of. You get to be a part of something similar to that of Elisha. And is reminding us, following Jesus is not an accessory to your life. It's not something we slot in when it's convenient for us, when we have time. I love all the guitars up here today. I'm a guitar person. I love it. Um, I love playing the guitar. And I hardly ever do it. (laughs) I walk through the basement and I've got three or four of them sitting in my basement and I'll stare at them sometimes and I'll say, hmm, later. When Jesus calls this man to follow him. He's not inviting him into a religious hobby. He's saying, would you surrender your life, and would you follow me? And Jesus is not looking for yes, maybe, laters. A yes is a yes, and a no is a no. He further illustrates this by using a farming analogy, and he says this, no one puts their hand to the plower. No one starts plowing a field and then stops. No one starts seeding a crop and gets partway through and then decides they get bored and go on to something else. And in Jesus' agricultural society, when he told this story, everybody would have laughed. They would have said, no, no one does that. That's really a serious farmer. And his point to us is the same. Serious disciples, when they say yes, they say yes, and they mean it. Now I know what some of you are thinking, man, this is kind of heavy. And I brought a friend today and I wish he had like, preached on tithing or something a little less crazy. <laughs> I think the temptation sometimes when we read these verses though is just to feel guilty. Like I just, I don't do any of those really well. I'm kind of like all three people in this story. Let me clarify the, a difference for us here today. I think there's a distinction I want us to make. There can be a, temp- a temptation sometimes to be as little of a Christian as possible. Imagine that there's a line on the floor here, and it's kind of the non-Christian, Christian line, and we just kind of want to become a Christian, but then be as of little a Christian as possible. Be as small of a Christian as possible. Do as little as we need to do to still someday die and go to heaven, but still kind of be safe spiritually safe. There's a temptation. I think what Jesus is saying here, there's a difference between this and living your life for Christ and working at it and going through difficult times and then stumbling a little bit and then giving in to temptation and then getting up and trying again and going back at it and then going into another difficult season and yet going at it again. Those are two very different things. And what Jesus is saying to us today is be committed to me. I'm not asking for your perfection here. I'm asking for your commitment. It will take a lifetime for you to figure this out, but be committed to being my disciple, even though it will cost you. And as you think about the cost, don't miss this beautiful vision of Jesus. Jesus is the one who counts the cost of being obedient to the Father, recognizes it's going to lead him through the cross, and goes ahead anyways. Jesus is the one who walks away from his own mum, and don't think that he did that flippantly or without any pain. Not to be disrespectful, but because he's been called to proclaim the message of the good news of, of, of the kingdom. And Jesus is the one who sets his hand to the plow and he doesn't look back. And when he began something, he's committed to it and he's going to see it through which means he's committed to you today. He's committed to you. It means he's gonna walk with you no matter how difficult of a season you're in and how painful it can be at times. He's committed to you, he's put his hand to the plow and he's not gonna look back. It means if he has promised to forgive you, he's going to forgive you. He's not gonna get bored with you and move on to something else. It means that if he's promised to provide for you, then you can count on him. This is what it means when Jesus says he doesn't take his hand off the plow. He's committed to us as his followers. And when we have this vision of Jesus, who's lived this out for us, when we hear him call us to follow him, we can just say yes. Not out of guilt, but out of awe not out of reluctance, because the pressure is off. We get to follow him. And so this morning, as the band comes and we conclude our service, I want you to think about your own commitment to Christ today. Maybe you resonated with one of these three people. (laughs) Maybe you said yes, and you're like, what did I get myself into? (laughs) Maybe you've been making excuses. Maybe you have just been trying to be as small of a Christian as possible. And maybe today you're just living in the season of, you know what, I've been be faithful to Christ, but it's costing me right now, and it's difficult. Maybe God has called you to walk with a friend and it's just difficult. Maybe, God, you're experiencing some pushback from family members or friends or, or people at school for your faith, and you're trying to stand up for your faith, and it's costing you. I would say to you today, Jesus has put his hand on the plow. He is with you, and he's not gonna look back. Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful for the difficulty and the challenge presented in these scriptures today. And we pray that we would not just hear them, but we would go home and wrestle with them a little. Let them get underneath our skin. That we would squirm a little and really wrestle to see if we understand what it means to follow you but not just that That we would be captivated by this vision of Jesus who knows exactly what he's gotten himself into and is going to be faithful to the end this Jesus who has put your kingdom and our lives and our eternity above anything else and has stayed committed to it and the one who's going to see us through Lord may we be captured by this image today as we seek